This is the word of the Lord. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. The Lord had regarded for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. Um, it's surreal to be up here to give you a sermon. Um, I didn't know elders could give sermons. Um, a little tidbit of information that Pastor, didn't, Pastor Stephen didn't di- di- disclose to uh, Tom, Carmen, and me until after we accepted our nomination. <laughs> Um, yeah, so today I want to cover um, Genesis chapter 4, and this is the story of Cain and Abel, which I think most of, most of you are very familiar with the story. Um, the story of Cain and Abel, first murder in history, first murder in recorded history. And what's tragically interesting about the story is that the first murder they recorded in history was, was not between two enemies. It was not even between two brothers. You know, the first murder recorded in history was occurred between, I'm sorry, the first, uh, it was like between two strangers, but the first murder actually occurred between two brothers. The same brothers came in the same womb, two brothers that supposed to be in sort of brotherly bond. So what, what happened? What happened for this tragic to happen? Well, to answer this question, we need to kind of go back to chapter 3 of Genesis, which I think most of you are also familiar with. It's the story of Adam and Eve and the fall of man from grace from God. Adam and Eve sinned, and sin was introduced into the world. Our relation with God is broken, creation is corrupted, and our relation with each other has been broken. Uh, the curse continues its rampage in chapter 4. The consequences of sin continues 
And that is why, uh, that is why Cain killed Abel. Simply put, the consequences of sin corrupted Cain's soul to the very essence. And today we'll, we'll just see how far it went, just how far corrupted he went as sin has caused. So in verse 2, uh, chapter 4, we learned that uh, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain his kid brother Abel. Cain tended the ground, and Abel tended the sheep. And in the course of due time, Cain gave an offering of fruit, and Abel gave an offering of the firstborn and his, of his flock and the fat portions. Uh, we're not sure how or how they learned this, but we learned that the Lord had great regard for Abel and his offering, but not Cain's offering. Why? Why was this? I mean, does, does God prefer steak over vegetables like most number of people? No. Actually, it's, it's mutton, so if you can't know. But to, to answer this question, we have to actually go forward. I mean, the best answer I found is found in the New Testament, which we have to go forward to, uh, to chap, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, 4. And if you guys are not familiar with uh, Hebrews chapter 11, um, the author of Hebrews is listing some of the great faiths, men of faith in the Old Testament. Men like Abraham, Moses, David, uh, the prophet Elijah. But the first person on this list is Abel. And from, let me just free from uh, verse 11, 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him accepting his gift. That's right. It was his faith that pleased God in the manner in which he offered his sacrifice. Most people thought it's because, you know, uh, animals are more valuable than fruit, but that's not true. It we learn in Leviticus chapter 2, grain offering was a perfect acceptable offering for God. So it was a manner in which he gave his offering that God was pleased. So, and what do we learn about Cain? Obviously, if he did not accept his offering, it kind of showed that Cain himself had little faith to God. So what's the reaction of, of Cain? Well, he became very angry, and his face fell. Did the face literally fell? No, it's an idiom. That means suddenly look of disappointment, especially after being hopeful or optimistic from before. But even though God did not accept Cain or his offering, God still cared for Cain. How do we know that? Well, in verse 6, what did we learn? We learned that God approaches Cain and encourages him and advises him. You don't do that to a person you do not love or care for. God tells him, do better and you'll be accepted. If you don't, the sin in you will brew and will, will conquer you, and, but you must rule over it. So he's telling him advice, and uh, he's also encouraging him. So what does Cain do next after God approaches him? Well, the next, uh, what Cain does next is kind of a scene right out of uh, CSI, okay? First of all, there's motive, because Cain is jealous of his younger brother Abel, that he was accepted. He premeditates a murder, and as Cain is talking to Abel, he lures him into the field, I seem to have no witnesses. He kills him, he bears the body. And when the authority, God approaches him, you know, where is your brother Abel? Cain, what, what does he do? He lies. I do not know. I'm just trying to get away with murder. And, you know, after reading this, I got, I got to really think, did Cain really think he would get away with murder? Seriously? Because, let's think about it, there's, there's only four people in the world, okay? All right, one is dead. Okay, there's three suspects. Okay, where did the blood cry out from? The ground? Okay, well, he tended the ground. Cain, well, 
there, yeah, right there. I mean, it took me less than a minute, so you didn't need to be God to figure this out. So after Cain tries to hide his guilt by lying to God, Cain utters those famous words, or I should say infamous words, haughty, apathetic words that resonate throughout humanity. Am I my brother's keeper? And what's interesting, God does not answer, or God does not dignify that question with the answer right there. Instead, he reacts to his question in disbelief, saying, what did you do? I mean, God knew what he did, but it's just so unbelievable, saying that the blood of your son, I mean, the blood of Abel, your brother, a righteous, innocent blood, cries out to him from the ground, calling out to him. Now, after all that, after all that tumultuous thing, it was just horrible. God, after God reveals to uh, Cain his punishment, which is to wander around the earth as a fugitive. But when Cain learns of this, what does he do? He pleads to God that his punishment is too great, that he cannot bear the punishment that God was giving him. Out of God's mercy, he places what, what is known today as the mark of Cain. This mark is uh, to put on him. Uh, there's some controversy, some debate on what the mark of Cain really is. Some believe it's a uh, mark on his face, it could be a gesture. Um, a little trivia, during the time of, revolution, uh, time of slavery in America, the slave traders justified going to Africa, capturing the Africans and bringing them back because of the color of their skin, the dark pigment. They believed that the dark pigment was the mark of Cain, justifying their slavery. Yeah, really, really ugly stuff. But even though, and what I want to say is that the mark that God gave Cain it's not really a mark of Cain. It's, uh, it's a mark for Cain. If anything, the mark is a mark of mercy of God to prevent enemies in the wilderness to attack him. No, the true mark of Cain was his character. Okay? What did we learn so far? Well, first of all, he had no faith. We know that by his offering. Okay? He is jealous, he becomes angry, he becomes hateful, and he murders his brother. That shows more of his character. When he's approached by God, what does he do? He lies. He's a liar. Okay? And in a disrespectful, haughty voice, he even questions God, am I my brother's keeper? He questions God. That's, that's just tells you what prideful and sinful he is. He's foolish. How do you know that? If God gives you advice, you should really take it, especially if it's one-to-one. He does not take God's advice. He didn't stay away the sin, no, but he gave into his sin. So he's foolish or prideful. And finally, when he was finally convicted, finally uh, discovered by God, or uh, God told him he knew what he did, what does he do? He thinks only of himself. He pleads to God, no, this, this punishment is too big. He didn't think about his brother who he just killed. He didn't think about his parents, Adam and Eve, who are just, you know, devastated from what happened because, you know, we learned from chapter 3, they were directly responsible for this. Okay? No, he only thought of himself. And this is true Mark of Cain. So how did, how did, um, so how did humanity fare against the curse of Cain? Now, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, the America, the United States. The United States in the past 240 years have been in many conflicts. Uh, we have the Civil War, World War I, World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War, Gulf War. So which of these wars did America suffer the most casualties? If you think it was World War II, you're wrong. Sorry. 
That was my first guess. No, the casualty of the war that uh, that caused the most casualty was actually the Civil War. Civil War by far. In fact, if you count all the casualties of the other wars that America had been into, World War I, World War II, Korean, Vietnam, even Gulf War, it's still far short of the calendars of the Civil War. In fact, the most bloodiest, casual-causing battle of America of any history is actually not too far from here, Gettysburg. Yeah. But America faced more casualties than anyone else. So imagine you're a soldier in the Civil War, and you're walking toward Gettysburg, and you can see across the field, and hey, there's, there's my brother, but he's on the other side. I guess I have to kill him? Yeah, it was literally a war of brother versus brother from the south and the north, and it was horrific. All right, well, um, President Clinton, in his memoirs, years after he, his administration, uh, his presidency ended, he wrote his memoirs. In his memoirs, his biggest regret of his administration uh, during the 90s was that he did not send troops to stop the genocide in Rwanda uh, back in 1994. Now, if you guys are unfamiliar with the genocide of Rwanda, uh, different factions made up the country. Uh, I'll try to pronounce this correctly. Hutu and Tutsi. These are the two major groups factions made up of Rwanda. Uh, the Civil War or genocide only lasts about 100 days, but there's an estimate total between 800,000 and over a million people killed, many of them women and children. And it wasn't a Civil War, it was more just genocide, people being slaughtered in the middle of the street. And what's really interesting is that even though these two people came from a different ethnic background, they have a lot of things in common. They have the same tradition, they have the same value, they speak the same language, but yet because they're different ethnically, this genocide occurred. Today, uh, civil war exists, especially our thoughts and prayers go out to our brothers and sisters in Myanmar who are going through such a conflict. The own countrymen in this terrible conflict causing such much chaos, disarray, and deaths. All right, well, what about brothers of faith? That has to be better, right? Okay, so Muslims and Christians had a bloody history, okay? Um, from the First Crusade of 1095, the Second Crusade of 1291, uh, I was reading this documentary that, from scholars and historians that believe that Christians are responsible for the second most killing and murdering of Muslims. So who's the first? That's right, another Muslim. To this, to this day, a Muslim is most likely be killed by another Muslim. Okay? Um, I mean, back in 2000, um, during the 9-11 tragedy, you know, we're victims of a terrorist attack, but these days, most terrorist attacks are committed against Muslims. Okay. Yep, so if you're a literal brother, brother by blood, brother by countrymen, or brother by faith, it seems to be a little extra when we, a little extra hatred and killing among them. Oh yeah, for Christians, yeah, we had a bloody history too, and that's, it will take too long for me just to go into the history of that right now. Okay? But if you think about it, theoretically, we're all the descendants of Adam and Eve. So if we attack anybody, in theory, we are killing or hurting a brother or sister. Today, pop culture. Uh, if you don't know, I'm a big fan of the comic book hero genre, but you notice a lot of the superhero movies today, Captain America, The Avengers, Black Panther, they all have a, oh, even Aquaman, DC, sorry. 
they all have a sort of internal conflict in brother movies. Black Panther was internal conflict. Uh, Captain America's War was about internal conflict. Yeah, it just seems to be a theme that continues going on and on. So what about today for ourselves? Okay. Do you fight with your siblings, your parents? Uh, I have an older sister, and I love her, but wow. She and I get some bad arguments. Worse arguments than anything else that any person ever had. So why do we hurt the people closest to us? Even during this time of COVID, and you were stuck with these people in the same household, did you guys get each other's nerves? Did you find lack of love? Show them, you know, a little disregard? It happens, and it's true. So what are we supposed to do? Well, this morning, I asked a praise team to um, play one of my favorite hymns, Joyful, Joyful, We, are, we Adore Thee. And one of the verses says, uh, uh, Christ our brother. Lord our Father, Christ our brother. And what does that mean, Christ our brother? Jesus has many titles and roles. He is God. He is one with God. He's a member of the triune God. He's also known as the second Adam. He's our Lord and Savior. And he is our brother. Unlike Cain, who was jealous, resentful, and angry, and hated his brother, and took his life, Jesus is that cool older brother who looks out for you, shares himself with you, loves us, loves us so much that he gave his life for us. All right, um, so what does Scripture say? Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 2.11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, our Father. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Uh, the word brother um, doesn't pertain to a physical relationship. It turns, pertains to more of a spiritual relationship. And I know it says brother, but it, it does mean sister too. So brother and sister. So women, please don't be offended. But this verse kind of reminds me of John chapter 3, um, when Nicodemus was talking to Jesus. And Jesus was telling him, how do I see the kingdom of God? And Jesus said to Nicodemus, all right, be patient with me. Uh, he said to Nicodemus, Genethane anothen. That's Greek. It means you have to be born again. Uh, the word again, anothen, could also be loosely translated as heaven. So I kind of like that translation a little bit better. Born again or born of heaven or born of spirit to see the kingdom of God. You see, when a brother or sister is born again or born of heaven into the family of God, through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Lord our God becomes our Father, Abba. The Greek word for Father is Abba. You kind of notice that Abba sounds like Abba in Korean? Weird coincidence, right? I don't know. Uh, Romans 8.15. God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we share in that relationship as adopted children into a spiritual or heavenly family. Jesus, our brother, purchased with his blood the right to call his father our father. All right, let's go to Romans 8.29. Those, uh, those, uh, those God, though God knew before he destined, predestined to be confirmed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Uh, before I get into anything, let's make a clarification on firstborn. 
uh, firstborn, that God, Jesus is not the first created being. No, he is the eternal son. The firstborn is a title of preeminence and position above all creation. Right? So don't, don't mix that up. Jesus is sometimes referred to as the second Adam. Unlike the first Adam, who failed to be obedient to God, Jesus triumphed and was completely obedient to God the Father. And because of this, because of his obedience, Jesus made it possible for his Holy Father to adopt unholy people, us, as his own children. The regiment of Jesus Christ is the first of many to follow, to gather his children. That's right, after we, after we pass away, we'll be resurrected just as Jesus Christ did. In our death, our bond with sin would be completely broken and we'd be made like Jesus. All right, I have one more verse which I have to give. I think Pastor One's going to grade me on my sermon, so if anything, I'm going to be thorough. So, one more verse. And looking at those who sat around him, he said, there, here are my mother and my brother for who does the will of God. He is my brother and sister and mother. Now, if the, Lord, if, if the Lord our God is our Father, and Jesus is our brother, then we want to surrender ourselves to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to love, to trust, and obey his lordship. As a member of God's heavenly family, he wants us to bear resemblance to the perfect big brother, Jesus Christ. Okay. So, so what does it look like if you're really a member of the family of God? Well, do you remember when I was mentioning the Mark of Cain? I said the true Mark of Cain was is a description of his character. Uh, jealousy, murder, hatred, uh, untruthfulness, the whole bit. But if you are truly a member of God, I found there'll be marks as well. We learn from Romans 12, uh, verse 9 and 18. And uh, you know, let me just read this entirely. I'll read it quick. Okay, so Romans... Um, 9, um, Romans 12, verse 9. It reads from the Apostle Paul. Let, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's right, guys. It is a competition. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saint and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not uh, curse them. Rejoice those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Uh, sorry, I lost my place here. Okay. Repay no one for evil with evil. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with, with all. Beloved. Paul calls us beloved because he loves us. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will pray, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will be burning coal on his head. Do not overcome... Uh, do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So that's the mark of a Christian. That's what we're supposed to be displaying as a member of family of God. But 
if you can't remember all that, uh, God, God kind of gives us a shortcut. John chapter 13, verse 35. It's a little shortcut. It just reads, By this all people will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. It comes down to that. Simple as that. If you memorize the Romans, I'm, I'm impressed. But if you can't, this is pretty good. So, you ever wonder why the vengeance is the Lord's? I mean, if, as a child, when you get into a fight, and let's say, you know, your, your siblings, like, took a toy, and you went to your parents, and said, Mom, you know, you know Bobby took my toy. You know, okay, okay, don't worry, grab a shovel, just hit him in the head. No, they don't give you advice like that. Because as a parent, you have to parent well. You don't have your kids continue to fight. You have them reconcile with one another and to show love. That's why the vengeance is the Lord, because to us, we are his children. He doesn't want his children fighting, arguing, hurting each other. Instead, love each other. And he would do the necessary punishment according to his will. Our duty is just to love, not to seek revenge. But honestly, it is hard. It is hard to love one another. We are sinful people, and it is difficult. Um, the first laws that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai was the Ten Commandments. Um, I won't go through them right now, but, and just trust me that this is the, the supreme law that we continue to hear today. But you notice that the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments is dealing with our relationship with God. Okay? Our most important relationship with God and in the Ten Commandments, only the first four. The next six deals with our relationship with each other. It's kind of weird that, that the commandments, there's only four for God, but there's two more dealing with the relations with each other. And I really got to believe that God kind of knows that loving God is a little bit easier. He's always loving. He's always forgiving. He's always patient. He's always there. Dealing with others, not so. And I think he's just telling us that it's going to take a little more time, a little more patience, a little more effort to love one another. And he can reflect that in the Ten Commandments. So if you don't know the Ten Commandments by heart, there's also another shortcut. Okay? A lot of shortcuts today. It's from Matthew 22, 37, 39. And let me just read this. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, which kind of refers to the first four commandments. This is, this is the great and the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, which deals with the next six commandments. Okay? Uh, the word neighbor in Greek, I promise you this is the last Greek lesson, okay? Is pleisian. Um, there's a lot of misinterpretations or understanding what a neighbor is. For you, it's probably your next door neighbor or anybody close to you. Uh, there are references of neighbor as person only in your community or on the Jewish faith. But when Christ is saying pleisian as neighbor, uh, he's referring to any person irrespective of nation or religion, for whom they will have a chance to meet. So anyone you meet, that is your neighbor. And that's, you're supposed to love them as, your, as yourself. Okay. So, um, so in conclusion, let me just have a couple more points before I end. Uh, just remember those famous words, uh, or infamous words that Cain said, that am I my brother's keeper? And God doesn't respond with an answer. But I think God did demonstrate the answer to that question, how. 
He didn't merely say yes to Cain. He's like, yes, you are your brother's keeper. No, what does he do? He reveals the entire redemptive history of the Old Testament. He reveals the gospel of, of the New Testament, Jesus Christ, to answer that question. So he didn't say yes, no. You want the answer? Old Testament, New Testament. And what, what does he eventually all means? Yes. Unmistakably, absolutely, positively, the answer is yes. And the Old Testament and New Testament is a, is a demonstration of that answer. Um, next slide, please. Let me see where we are here. Next slide. No? Okay, so I don't want to end in a uh, sour note, but this is a picture of um, uh, the 50th anniversary of uh, Battle of Gettysburg. Um, it, was, it was a four-day event, and the veterans, survivors of the battle, came together in their dress garb and met and shook each, each other's hand in reconciliation. Okay. Um, the country of Rwanda has vast improvements. Recently, they just celebrated the 25th anniversary, 25th anniversary of the massacre, and there have been vast improvements. They're trying to identify themselves as a nation instead of the fashion group, and there's been great reconciliation. I mean, these are all good. Reconciling with your brothers, um, trying to get along with them. But the true test of love is to show love that comes with the union of Christ. A true brother love is that come before them with brother love of Jesus. Next slide, please. Okay. This is a, a picture back in 2004-2005. Um, there was a tsunami that hit Indonesia and hit the country of Indonesia very hard. I think about 230,000 deaths in total. Our, the senior pastor of the KM said Gregory Peck and his wife Grace were missionaries back then to the country, to the Muslim country of Indonesia. And after the, uh, after the tsunami killed, uh, devastated the country, their mission team went out to give out supplies to the Muslims, showing the love of brotherly, by the love of Christ, spreading the gospel and giving them supplies. Next slide, too. Next slide. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a big campaign, and when, uh, back in 2005, our ministry, our church, was greatly involved to bring hope and love of Christ through humanitarian aid. Uh, one more, I think. Oh, yeah. And there's a picture of Grace Summon, when she's, you know, a little younger, and he applies to, uh, to the people of Indonesia. So, what do we learn? We learned that Jesus is a big brother. He gave us the great gift of himself and all things. Um, and the last point I want to make right now is that God does, I mean, God loves us immensely. He gave himself for us. He loves he love us, and I'm not judging anybody here. But this comes from, straight from Scripture. That he loved us regardless, or even though that we are more like Cain than Abel. That all of us carry the mark of Cain. And he still loves us. And in turn, that love shows a flow to others. All right, let us pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, our God, we thank you for your Son, that we can come before you and call you Father. We thank you for Jesus, that we can call him Brother. We thank you that we are now one family, a family that continues to love and cares for one another, as you, as your, as you your Father, our God, Jesus, our Brother. 
Lord, just continue to be with us. Let the Spirit continue to endow this love, this understanding, and this commitment to you to be a member of, of, heavenly, of your heavenly family that we must commit and submit ourselves to what Christ has taught us, that Jesus is the example for us to follow. Lord, I just pray for all my brothers and sisters here. Just allow the Spirit to work in them and see the world as Jesus sees us with love. We thank you in Christ's name we pray. Amen.